Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 28. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to him and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, and if he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, because if he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins." But new wine is for fresh wineskins. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he and those who were with him, How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The word of the Lord. Dear Lord, we do come together not only to worship with our voices, but also to hear with our ears. For centuries now, people who have called on and followed you have asked you to speak. We pray that you would open our ears and hearts to hear you. You have spoken and handed us your word. And we pray not only that we would study it, but that it would transform us and change us. You know these men and women and their lives as they enter in this morning, the weeks they've had, the mornings they've had. Some of us are glad we barely made it through the door. Some of us have had real joys and triumphs this week. Some of us have probably taken a few beatings. With all due respect, you know we've all been sinners. And we need your hope and encouragement. We pray you'd speak through your word and connect them through what I'm about to say to you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is great to be here. This is one of our favorite places to be if we're not with our own church. Uh, my family is worshiping at nights now. As Char- uh, Corky said, the l- last time I was here was on Easter Sunday. I was, had a sabbatical last spring, and so um, our family came and worshiped with you Easter because when we thought, where would we like to be Easter morning? We thought, let's go to Christ Church Vienna. And a lot has changed for us since then. We had a sabbatical through most of the summer, and then, as Corky mentioned, just a few weeks ago, we took the leadership of a church called Church of the Ascension, which is an Anglican church with people from McLean to Del Rey, Alexandria area, 
but they worship in Arlington. They're a church plant at a Church of the Resurrection in D.C. Your worship leader, Dan Bielman, is a part of Church of the Advent, which is another uh, Church of the Resurrection plant in D.C. So we're really glad. We, we are in our same house, in our same school district, but loving a different community. And I'm really glad to be here with you this morning because your church and our church, Church of the Ascension, are going to parallel our ways through the Gospel of Mark the next several months. So you won't just see me this month. You'll actually see me next month and the month after, which might be sad for you to know, but at least you, you know, it's good to get over disappointment early. And, um, and then Johnny will be coming to visit us on, because we worship on Sunday nights at five. So it gives us a chance to work together a bit as Anglican churches through different d- jurisdictions and also a chance as church bodies to walk through the gospel of Mark together. So I'm really excited to do that. My community is excited to do that. And we are jumping in this morning. Um, I want to teach you one word. If you only take away one thing from this morning, it's, it's this word. Okay, so say it with me. You catastrophe. Okay, you catastrophe. Now say it all together. You catastrophe. Okay, I'm going to come back to it in a minute, but think about that word. We're going to come back, and that's going to be the driver of some of what we talk about this morning. If you have a Bible with you and could open to Mark 2 and 3, that'd be great. If we could maybe put up that slide that Melissa read from, from Mark 2, that'd be great as well. I'm going to be preaching from um, Mark 2 and 3 this morning. That's the set of chapters we're covering this week. Andy Wood kicked you off with Mark 1 last week, and we're covering a, a little of a wide swath this morning. We're not going to look at every verse and every paragraph, but we're going to take a bit of a bird's eye view with what's happening here. And we're going to circle back to this word that I started with, you catastrophe. Mark 1 A brief reminder about last week. Two things I want you to remember about Mark 1. One is the use of the word immediately. If you read Mark 1 or want to go back and read it later this afternoon, nine times in this short short chapter does Mark use the word immediately. Again and again and again. And it's a bit odd. Think about if I was describing my day to you or my week to you or let's say our good friends, the Honers, let's say Karen was out and came home and asked Christina how things were and she said, well... Caleb came home and immediately had a sandwich, and then immediately he tied his shoes, and then immediately he played basketball, and then immediately he played, got on his phone, and immediately he used his Xbox. At some point, you would say to Christina, you know, Christina, you could just say, he did a lot of things quickly. You would need to say it again and again and again. And what Mark is doing in this first chapter is letting you know right off the bat, there's a lot of action happening in this gospel. He's going to have a very action-packed, this is the action-packed gospel of the four, the action movie you would make. You'd use John as your text if you're picking from a gospel. Over and over again, he's driving this. There's no nativity story in Mark. There's no silent night. There's no wise men. Just Jesus, a man comes. He's the son of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Boom. Within the first few verses, that's what you hear. He kind of grabs you by the shoulders and shakes you. We're starting this gospel now. And off he goes in chapter 1. So there's an immediate beginning, and it's followed by actions with immediate responses. The heavens immediately break open. The Spirit immediately drives Jesus into the wilderness. Peter immediately follows Jesus. The action around Jesus is neck-snapping intense. What, what, What is happening? Over and over, things going off. Boom, boom, boom. This is not a passive book by any stretch. So as you read it over the next few months, and we'll be in Mark all the way to Easter morning, Think about, Mark is trying to get my attention. Something enormous is happening. And that leads me to the second thing. Something unexpected is happening. 
Jesus, this guy, this guy in Galilee is coming and he's done these unbelievable things that show he's not just a guy. He's the long-awaited-for Messiah that Israel has proclaimed will bring together Jew and Gentile and a whole entirely new kingdom to earth. Incredibly fast and incredibly unexpected. Mark, in his whole first half of the gospel, is showing us a new king and a new kingdom. A new king and a new kingdom. And so that's why he starts right off and begins to drive what's going on with these words immediately, immediately. And then showing you all these unexpected things Jesus did, which were fulfillments of the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah will come and do these kinds of neck-snapping, unexpected, immediate things. This is a kingdom where something that looks broken and full of despair is being replaced with an entirely new way of life. What looks lost and desperate and forgotten and abandoned, meaning you and me, will be found and remembered and given hope. Nothing less than a new kingdom will come to earth and change everything. This is not just a great speaker. This is not a self-help book. This is not a meal plan. This is an entirely new way to live. All things will be made new. And the way this kingdom spreads is through a series of you catastrophes. You catastrophes, meaning good catastrophes. It's you catastrophic. Sudden turns, unexpected events that ensure wholeness and success and life instead of death. Any action movie you love has a you catastrophe in it. This is a word coined by J.R.R. Tolkien, Tolkien, as he wrote and talked about myth and the Lord of the Rings and what he was doing. You in the front is, means good. It's a Greek term for good, like eulogy, good word. It's what you hear at a funeral, right? Eulogy, you catastrophe is the term that Tolkien coined for a good catastrophe happening in a story. Tolkien calls the incarnation, which we just celebrated in Advent, the you catastrophe of human history, something catastrophic, something life-changing, life-rending, totally new, that is absolutely good, happens in the incarnation. He calls the incarnation the you catastrophe of human history. And Tolkien says the resurrection, then, is the you catastrophe of the incarnation. Because all looks lost until Jesus comes in the flesh. And then all looks lost because then Jesus died in the flesh. Until he rises again. You, catastrophe, the world and life turned on its head. Just when it looked like the dragon would win and the princess remain in the tower, here comes Jesus. And in Mark 2 and 3, he's beginning to show us just what kind of you catastrophes this new kingdom will bring. We see several paragraphs that show how glorious they are and how they turn us and the ancient Mediterranean world on its head. And the phrase he uses gives us a filter to think about what it will look like for you and me. This image and idea of wineskins. New wineskins for the new kingdom that are you catastrophic. Here again are these short verses in chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. To make wine, you need the right container to hold it. If you have new wine seasoning in old wineskins, it'll either befoul the wine or break the wineskin, and then you'll have nothing. 
we have a good friend from when we lived in Roanoke named David Morissette, who is the vintner of a big wine, Blue Dog Winery, down in Floyd, Virginia. And if you go to visit this winery, what you'll find out is just how important the casks of wood are to season the wine. This would be a modern-day wineskin. What kind of wood, where it came from, how long it seasons and ages in the wine is incredibly important. The wineskin, what does it look like? The kingdom of heaven, what are the wineskins of the kingdom of heaven? What do they look like? What they look like over and over and over again are you catastrophes in your life and in my life. And then the character we'll see briefly in chapter 2 and 3. Just how you catastrophic is this new kingdom and this new king? How amazing are these wineskins? I want to highlight five things. You catastrophe wineskin number one. You catastrophe wineskin number one. In this new kingdom, our identity is formed by who loves us, not what we do. Our identity is formed by who loves us, not what we do. Not your GPA, not how you did on the test on Friday. Not how good your spreadsheet looks for work on Tuesday. Not what committee you serve on on the hill or whether you hit your number last quarter. Your identity in this new kingdom is you catastrophic because it's formed by who loves you. And you see this as Jesus takes this idea of the Sabbath in ancient Israel and turns it on its head. We read, Melissa read some of those verses too. The Sabbath to Israel was an unbelievably important part of their identity as people. You kept the Sabbath for centuries and centuries, particularly after the kingdoms of Israel and Judah were destroyed by Babylon and Assyria. One of the ways you made sure you were Jewish was you kept the Sabbath. And if you didn't keep the Sabbath, you didn't know who you were. But the way you kept the Sabbath began to accumulate not a relationship with God, but details again and again and again and again in dozens and dozens of ways. Here's what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. And heaven forbid you do the things you shouldn't do because then you haven't kept, you've broken the Sabbath. And so this whole sense of anxiety and religion and the sense that what you do with the Sabbath is who you are as a Jew is what has seeped into Israel. And what Jesus is coming to tell them and get them back to is my father loves you. The Sabbath was a gift. You are given time. You didn't make time. You don't make the Sabbath happen with what you do. It's not about you first. It's about God giving you time, Israel, and then you offering it back to God. It's an act of worship. But what they've begun to do and what has happened and cemented into Israelite society is what we do makes us who we are because of how we keep the Sabbath. And we don't have a, a modern representation, but think about if there was a community in Northern Virginia that you knew you couldn't do anything with On Sunday, they don't sell to you. They don't buy from you. They don't do the things you're doing. They don't go to what you go to. And what it would feel like is they're distinctively doing something with their time that makes them who they are. Israel had certainly gotten that piece of the practice and the habit and discipline. What they'd failed at is realizing their identity came from how they were loved. So for Jesus to come in, and this is not the only time he's going to mess with the Sabbath in Mark, and he is messing with it. There's no other way to think about it. It's like someone coming into this church on the 3rd of July and saying, you know what, to be an American, you don't do anything else right on the 4th of July. We're not doing anything else like we used to do. No parades, no music, no John Philip Sousa, no fireworks. No more. 
I bet a lot of people would be upset. We, America, to be American, you keep the 4th of July apple pie. You get in traffic and go downtown. That's what he's saying. You catastrophe wineskin number one. In this kingdom, what's it look like? Your identity is cemented by how you are loved by God, not by what you do. You catastrophe wineskin number two. Unusual and surprising people are invited into this kingdom. Unusual and surprising people are invited into this kingdom. Now you can look around this room and go, I get that. We're all here. A couple people to notice in these chapters. Again, if you have a Bible, you can skate back and forth. We might want to look at it later. This paragraph on Levi, Matthew, the, the, fair, the uh, tax collector, it doesn't need to get more profound than that. I mean, tax collectors were absolutely hated in Israel. One scholar says a ta- being a tax collector was like being a pimp in Israel. So let's say you're going to get some really good people together, some people you think are going to really love God and you're going to change the world. I don't think those are the people you think about initially. For Jesus to extend to Levi is a crazy catastrophe. If he can extend to Levi, he can extend to you and to me. And then, if you keep reading into chapter 3, the early parts of chapter 3, you'll see not only Levi, but then the other people, fishermen, and Simon the Zealot? Simon the Zealot would hate Levi. The people Simon the Zealot, who are all about power, are trying to overthrow, overthrow are people like the tax collectors. This is a really, really, really different kingdom. This is a different thing that's happening. This is a very, very new wineskin. So the educated are invited, but fishermen are invited. Political revolutionaries are invited, and people in the political system are invited. People with Ivy League educations are invited. People who couldn't spell Ivy League are invited. People who live in Vienna, people who live in false church. And as you'll see as we continue our way through Mark, people who fail are invited. Because these 12 men listed in chapter 3 are going to drop the ball pretty significantly down the road. You're loved, you're invited. You catastrophe wineskin number 3. In this new kingdom, the king changes people. In this new kingdom, the king changes people. That's a little weird. It's a little wild. The king is helping you. Think about the political system that's going on at the time. To say, I'm the new king, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is a very risky thing to be preaching for John the Baptist and Jesus. Because Herod and Caesar don't want new kings. And there's lots of stories of people who tried to bring a new kingdom in and around the time of Jesus and how brutally they are murdered and made examples of. So here's this king coming, and he's not saying, you need to come and serve me and be my army. What he's saying is, I will change you. Paralytic, lowered through the roof, maybe of his own house. If you read the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says in chapter 2, Jesus comes to Capernaum, and the crowds are glad he's home. And the next thing you know, he's in a home, and they're lowering it through his roof. It might be Jesus' family's house. 
How many of us are that committed to Jesus today? If something was really happening and someone began to, you know, it's Corky's house and you think, I need to get a guy to Corky. God's using Corky. I'm going to cut Corky's roof off. Corky is really godly, but I think even Corky would not be happy about that. Jesus is changing people. The paralytic is being lowered through the room. And he will, it's funny how we define him. Look in your Bible. I bet it says Jesus heals a paralytic. But I bet in that community after that, he's no longer known as the paralytic. Isn't it curious that the way we identify him is his weakness, not his strength. I bet that guy was known as the guy who used to be a paralytic. If I was him, I'd want to be known as I'm the runner now. Everywhere I go, I run. Need anything? I will run, get it. Because I was a paralytic for a very long time. And he's healing him emotionally and spiritually. That man's sins are forgiven and his legs are healed. This king changes you. And we serve him in response. But first, he changes you and me. You catastrophe. He makes you new. You're not known or identified by your weakness or infirmity anymore. You're now the healed and the runner and the man with two good hands and the forgiven one. You catastrophe wineskin number four from Mark 2 and 3. This new kingdom is supposed to spread and grow. And for that to happen, the king beckons finite leaders to spend time with him. This new kingdom is supposed to spread and grow. And for that to happen, the king beckons finite leaders to spend time with him. We didn't read those verses this morning. But if you read on into chapter 3, you'll see Jesus calling the 12 to be with him so that they will know how to live the kingdom out. And what he says to them is, follow me, be with me, watch what I do. Know me as the king. And then he knows, they don't know yet, but he will send them to tell and live the kingdom out. Another way to say that would be, be the beloved. Know God loves you and do crazy, you catastrophic things wherever I send you. Love people, even crazy people. Love your enemies. Share how you were changed. One of the powerful implications of the 12 being brought that's very subtle is the reality that the gospel, the good news of Mark about Jesus to you and me, is not just for you. Now, we come and we ask and cry to God, Lord, I need you this morning. I need you this week. But you don't come just to be met and fed and healed and encouraged and disciplined and comforted for yourself. You're actually coming to then take and share the good news of the kingdom of heaven with the world. What you're actually is happening to you here is you're being formed as the kingdom citizens. So when we all leave to go back into the rest of our lives, we go as the king's citizens to share who he is and how he is. It's not just for you. So if you're here some Sunday morning and you know that Johnny is saying some thing that you've heard a hundred times about if you're a new person and this is how we do it. And you'd be like, ah, Johnny, blah, 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 blah. What you need to remind yourself is, well, there are probably people here who might not know that or might be here for the very first time. So what we say is the same thing. We know as priests, sometimes we say the same things over and over and over. But it's because we believe the gospel is not just for me or for you, but for people who might be here for the very first time. When we take communion, All the Anglican churches in Northern Virginia that I've ever worshipped in, we all welcome people who know and serve Jesus, the King. But we also say, if you don't know who Jesus is, or you feel unprepared to receive 
the sacrament. We still welcome you to come to the front to be what? Blessed. You know why? Because the gospel is not just for you. We are not just preaching to the choir. You are not an Anglican mission in Vienna just for the people in the Anglican mission, right? You know your four things. Johnny preaches on them every year. Jesus calls the 12. Mark writes the gospel. Gospel means good news to be spoken and shared. Every week when we say this is the holy gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to whoever, it should remind us that the gospel is not just for ourselves. So even in our tired state, even in our full lives, as you drive down your street, as you get on the metro, as you work next to people in cubicles, you should be thinking, Lord, I am here to be the bearer of you catastrophe somewhere, somehow. Help me know how. Because it's not just for you. You catastrophe wineskin number five. Not everyone likes this new king or kingdom. Again, we didn't read that this morning. You could read it. In chapter 3, verse 6, not everyone likes this king or kingdom. It's early in Mark's story. I mean, we're not even halfway through chapter 3, and already people are plotting together to kill Jesus. And this is, again, weird people brought together by Jesus. You have the Pharisees on one hand, who are trying to keep Israel pure by the practice and habit of the law and separating from the influence of culture. And you have the Herodians, on the other hand, who are trying to support Herod and work with the culture to get power. And Jesus is ticking them off so much already. This new king is making people so angry with these crazy wineskins and the eucatastrophes he's bringing into the world of Israel that they're going to get together and say, we have to kill this guy. Let's figure out how. It's like the sharks and the jets in West Side Story getting together. The kingdom threatens people because make no mistake, it is a catastrophe. For you to come to Jesus, something has to die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them come and die. And you know what? I don't want to do that. I like my own way. I bet you do too. As great as you all are. And as much as I love this church, I'm pretty sure you do. But when you come and you embrace that catastrophe, it's a you catastrophe because it's the kingdom's wineskin you're getting, not your own at that point. So as we get ready to go to communion and to go back into the weeks that you have and I have, which of these you catastrophes, these new wineskins, might you need God to be stitching in you? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be reminded that your identity is being the beloved. Again, not in your successes or failures, not in what your boss thinks of you, not even in the fight you had with your spouse on the way here, but in being the beloved of God. Maybe you're here and you're grateful to be a part of this kingdom and you just need to be reminded, I feel weird. I bet the sin I committed this week, no one else here has ever done. I bet if people knew what I think, they would never want me here. And you need to be reminded that this kingdom invites surprising and unexpected people. People like me, people like you, people like Levi, people like the paralytic. Maybe you need to be reminded that these unsurprising people are part of your family and you get to love them now. Just like Simon and Levi, 
holy smoke, you know that it took them most of the three years there together to, not, to get along. Maybe there's an area of your life you want to come to the Lord and say, Lord, please change me. King who changes people, I need help here. Yesterday, I was a less patient parent than I like to be with my kids. And so I went to two of them this morning because the king changes me and I need it too. And asked two of their forgiveness before I came here because I thought I was not patient with my sons the way I want to be. Isn't it great the king changes people and tells me I'm beloved and I can start over? Maybe you're here this morning, you need to be reminded of that. Maybe you just need to, again, ask the Lord, Lord, I'm heaven's citizen, but I am not sure how to do that. And I know you all love the Lord and serve this community just for this Sunday morning to happen. But you want to be a you catastrophe bear in your world. You want to live out this new wineskin, and you need to just offer yourself as you put your hands out to receive the sacrament. Maybe just say, Lord, I'm giving you my week. I don't know what it holds. I don't know who I'll see. But I pray that I will be a you catastrophe bear wherever I am. My prayer over the next few weeks, and again, I'm really excited that my church and this church are going to do this together and that I will be back in a couple of weeks to ask you if you want to come up and say, hey, this is what happened. This is the you catastrophe that happened to me. I'd love to hear that, and I'd love to be able to share that. But we want to be is a kingdom that serves you catastrophe wine to the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is a gift that any of us are here. It is so hard to believe that you would love us as we are and to experience the freedom that that brings. I pray that each man, woman, boy, and girl here this morning would taste that, that they would taste that you catastrophe for themselves, that the weeks we live would be unto you, and we would have a chance to share this good news in some way, shape, or form, that we would live extravagantly and lovingly the way you do, that we would welcome people who might be outside or feel ostracized the way Levi was welcomed, that we would have eyes to share this good news and let this gospel grow and not just do this for ourselves. You would teach us of your other-centeredness. And I pray that you would bless this church, bless all the ways that they seek and love you and love this town. I pray that your kingdom would go forth in Vienna. I pray that people would come to know you and that this church and others that call on your name would see your fruit born here and it would be good wine that brings you glory and blesses them. In your holy name, amen. Thank you.